You may have a seat. We are beginning a new series called Gathering to Go. And last week I was sharing that in 2021, about the spring of 21, 2021, we took three, four months as leadership to look at the question, to pray about the question, to talk about the question, what is God calling Celebrate Church to in this next season? What is our calling? There's lots of things that are in the Bible that we're all supposed to be about if we, if we follow Jesus, but what's, what's unique to celebrate? What's, what's something that we're supposed to kind of all be uh, on the same page with? And through lots of times, mainly the elder board, but, but various times the staff and the, the other uh, ministering elders, uh, we came up with a statement that was gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. Gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. We're a church that wants to gather. Like on Sunday mornings, that's part of it. That's good. But also uh, other ways, in our homes or in, in different groups, different ways, we want to gather so that we can grow in knowing the presence of Jesus, that we can grow in knowing who he is, what he's really like. But we don't just gather, get our little, you know, well, okay, I got my religious stuff. Okay, I can check that off the box, and now I go on with normal life. We gather to go with the presence of Jesus because he's given us his spirit. And so people can know more about what God is like, who he is, through us. We can be part of letting people know he's real. It's not just something that happened a long time ago and something you deal with maybe when you die. He's real. He's alive. He's here. He's now. And he's wanting to do good things now. And he lets us be part of that. So we are gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. And in this series, where we're talking about gathering to go, we're going to use uh, the book of Acts, going through stories in the book of Acts, which is a book about after Jesus was here and died and rose again, he ascended into heaven and he said to his followers who he had taught, now, it's your job to be my witnesses, to show the world, to tell the world what I'm like, and I'm going to give you my spirit. The spirit of God is going to come and be with you to help you to do this. That's what the book of Acts is about, is then what happens then? How does a church form? How does a, a movement grow? And in the summer of 2020, we talked about the first seven chapters, about the first quarter of the book of Acts. And so it was right after Jesus ascended, and then it's in Jerusalem, the main city, and the, the, the people that were following Jesus, that walked with him on the earth, it was this story about them growing. Them ga they gathered. They met together every day in the temple courts and in their homes. They're meeting together, but they didn't just meet together because their numbers grew. At the end of all these different stories about this, these early followers of Jesus and what happened, at the end of that is this story about Stephen. Stephen was a person who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man, and he spoke powerfully, and he could do miracles and signs and wonders. And the religious leadership at the time hated him, put him on trial. He was executed. Even though he was innocent, he was executed basically for talking about Jesus. He was stoned to death. And that was the end of that, that series, that story. And right after he's stoned to death, this is what it says in Acts. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. So this is the end of the scene where Stephen is stoned to death. And this guy, Saul, is there, and he approved of their killing him. They had left their coats. They had kind of left everything by him when they went to do this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, 
and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So this is, this is not good. This is really bad that, you know, one of the main leaders in the church just got executed by a stoning, and now one of the people who evidently is important and has some authority is starting to haul others into prison. And it's not good. Here's what comes out of it, though. The people, most of the people have to leave. Now, that'd be bad. I don't want to leave. I'm in my place. This is where I'm supposed to be. But no, you've got to leave. They just know it's not safe to stay and, and follow Jesus, and so they leave. But here's the thing. At the beginning of the book of Acts, right before Jesus goes up to heaven, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They have. Their numbers have grown from a few hundred to thousands over years, over a decade. He, but he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are going to go. And it's been more than 10 years, and they're in Jerusalem. They're still in Jerusalem. Now, when this thing happens that's bad and painful and tragic, people scatter. But as we pick up the story, they scatter going with the presence of Jesus, the message of Jesus. They go into, where's the next story? Samaria. There's stories in Judea. There's all these stories. Now, if you're reading through the book of Acts, what happens is there's multiple plot lines. So I watched Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi over break. Finally, it's been a while. Anyway, if you watch one of those movies, you're going to see like Han Solo and Chewbacca and Princess Leia and Empire Strikes Back. They're flying around trying to get to uh, Lando. But Luke and R2-D2, they're, they're off with Yoda. Like those two things. And it goes back and forth. Okay, here's what's happening with these guys. Now here's what's happening with them. The same kind of thing is happening in this where you start hearing about this story about them going to Samaria and you're talking about Philip and Peter and John and then all of a sudden you come back to Saul. And then you go back to Peter for a while and then you come back to Saul and Barnabas. And, then you go, and that's what happens. And so what we did last spring is we just followed the Philip and John and Peter's thread through. Now what we're going to do in this series is we're going to follow this bad guy Saul who's arresting people who's approving of people being murdered, who's against the spread of the name Jesus, we're going to follow him around and another guy, Barnabas, around eventually. And that's what we're going to do for the next several, several weeks. So put on your seatbelts, race fans and non-race fans alike. This is, a, this is quite a passage. This is going to be Saul, the enemy of Jesus, and how he eventually becomes Saul, the apostle of Jesus, the ambassador of Jesus, who much of the rest of the New Testament is attributed to. Ro we call them books of the Bible. Most of them are his letters. Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Timothy. I know I skipped some, but that's all right. 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Anyway, Titus, Philemon. They all are written by this guy who at this point in the story hates Jesus, going to kill people who talk about Jesus, going to arrest people that talk about Jesus. And here's when it all changes, this story. It's chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Okay, so we are going to talk about this story where Saul is traveling, he's on a mission, he's got authority, he's going to arrest some more people, he's going to stop this movement about Jesus. And then he encounters Jesus supernaturally, directly, goes blind, goes to Damascus, another guy who is a follower of Jesus, who Saul was coming to arrest, probably one of the people he's coming to arrest, he has a vision that he's supposed to go pray for, for Saul, he does, and he can see again. We're going to get to that. I want to take one little aside, because if you've been coming here, or been at least a little bit here in the last six weeks or so, you know we've been talking about fasting, not eating food for spiritual purposes, not eating food for a time, for spiritual purposes, to focus on God and to pray and just to invite him, more of him into your life. So in this passage, we see that. Saul, it says, after he has this encounter and can't see, doesn't eat or drink, for three days, usually fasting, we're just talking about the food. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. Then Ananias is told that there's a man, Saul, who's praying. So if he's not eating and he's praying, you put those together, that's called fasting. So he is fasting for three days. Why? He doesn't know what's going on. He can't see. He, he is focused. He has an assignment. He is, it's clear what he's supposed to be doing, and that has been completely disrupted. Completely disrupted. And now he can't see, and so he is doing what he knows to do. I am not going to eat, and I'm going to pray. Why do I say he knows what to do? Because Saul was a Jewish man, a Pharisee, and in other parts of the Bible, he's described as a Pharisee of Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees would fast twice a week. If you were an average Pharisee, you would fast twice a week. 
That was just part of your prayer, worship, part of your religious life. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, so he at least fasted twice a week. He probably had done extended fasts at time. And because he had done that over a period of time, when something happens that just jars his world, and he's like, I don't know what's going on, and I can't figure it out, I need God, when he's in the middle of that, he doesn't eat or drink for three days. But he's able to focus on God in those three days because he's learned to fast. Now, we have an initiative going for these four months. I'm not going to talk about it every week, but it's here in the passage, so I have to. That we are asking you, many of you, to consider fasting, learning to fast, and that we're trying to do this together. And so on our website, there's this, what's it called, fast forward maybe? Yep. Uh, it's fast forward thing that you can click on, and um, like a message board, it's called a padlet, like a message board will come up, and uh, there's days of the week, and you can just, if you're going to fast, if you're even just going to fast for one meal, you can sign in the subject your name, and then we'd encourage you to say something the next day or two, go back to it and just say, here's what, here's what I got out of it, or, and some people have said, I got nothing out of it. So far, we have 60, over 60 entries of people who have signed up. Now, some of those people are signing up multiple times. We have multiple people fast throughout this week. We had people request. We were only doing it Monday through Fridays, and that's all I care that we cover through Easter. But, but people request, can we do Saturdays and Sundays because that's when I'm going to do it. So I want to just say, if we have 10, 15, 20 of us do this, I think, this is just an opinion. I could be wrong. I think it will change our church if we have 10, 15, or 20 of us do this over the next four months. If we have a hundred of us do it, even if it's just a few times over the next few months, it will change our communities. Because we're saying, God, you're more important than food. God, we don't really know what we're doing here. We're just human beings, but you can help us out, and this is a way that we're just saying it. Because it's in the Bible, I mean, I wouldn't think of this way. Believe me, I have a lot of other things I'd rather do to show God, here, here's how you can help us. But fasting comes to us from the Bible. So anyway... We're, and we, and we, we might try, we might fail. We're just learning. Got to get back to the real thing. Here we go. That was just an aside. I'm going to read again from verse 7 on, and here's what I want you to see. This is the story about physical blindness and then sight being restored, but I want you to see how much this is about seeing and seeing clearly. So I've bolded the verses from 7 through 18. I've bolded the verses. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered them. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, a different vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him, I will make him to see how much he must suffer for my name. 
Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared, you were able to see to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Now, that is, there's a lot of repetition, a lot of the theme of like see, visions, appeared, show. See, it's, so what I'm thinking is that when we look at this passage, one of the things we might want be able to take away is like, how clearly do we see? How clearly do you and I see from God's perspective? If you can bring up the first uh, point, because I don't remember what it is, great. Saul could not see that he was going against God. Remember I told you, he is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He wasn't like, I, I don't know God, I don't believe in God, I'm, I'm anti-God, not at all. He was all about God. The only Bible he has is the Old Testament. And he, I could see from his perspective, like, well, mighty man like David, if there's people coming against God, well, I'm gonna get, we just get to wipe them out. Moses and the Levites, when it was um, people going against God, there was a time where he just wiped them out. I could see where he's like, we've got to do what it takes. The Pharisees, their perspective on what they were doing, what they wanted to be about, was this. God has promised that if the Jewish people follow him, then they will be blessed in the land. And they've seen that in their history. But if the, if the Jewish people don't follow him, then they won't be blessed in their land. Well, guess what? The Roman Empire is over them at this time and period. And so they think we must not be following him close enough. So we are going to demand that everybody follows him to the T, follows all the rules. They're soup. They, got, they got totally off on it because they got so strict about it. But their goal is, we want to follow God hard enough. We want to follow God to the extreme, so then the Romans will go, and then we can be the superpower of the world again. And these, these people talking about Jesus, they're not helping us. So we got to get rid of them, because we want Rome out, and we want God's blessing. And so when he's going around arresting people, putting them in prison approving of an execution, he thinks, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm doing this for God. And then all of a sudden, what he discovers is, he's going, all that stuff is going against God. It's going directly against God. He doesn't even know it. Until God comes and says, you are persecuting me. When you arrest that person, you're persecuting me. When you make threats about those people, you are persecuting me. Now, what about you and I? Could there be times, moments, situations where we think, yeah, we're right. We're right. I like those people. You know those people. Can't trust those people. And God might be saying, why do you have so much hatred and animosity towards me? No, God, man, me, we're good. God, we're good. I like you. You're good. I'm glad you like me. We're good. 
could there be groups of people? I mean, we're not against people, but groups of people because of race, because of political party, because they're gay, because you name it, we, we're right. And we automatically have a feeling like this from we don't have emotion of like we're going to love them. And God's saying like, hello, hello. There's a thing called a Kaizen on Fox News. Oh, I did it. I said Fox News. I can't, can't go back now. All right, here we go. There's a Kaizen. Like it's like the, the logo or whatever. And it used, maybe I've said this before. It used to be in a certain spot. They kept it in a certain spot all the time. But what happened was people watched so much Fox News that TVs got ruined because that spot didn't go away when you turned off your TV. The Kaizen of Fox News showed up. Now, if you watch that much Fox News, I can talk about MSNBC or CNN too. I'm not, I'm not saying which way we're going. But at least some of Fox News' programming is designed to always be saying, this is what's wrong with them. This is what's wrong with them. This is what's wrong with them. I mean, I've heard from, through, the, there are positions where it's called the spinsters. Like, they literally, their job is to take any situation and say why it's bad, for the, why the other people are bad or responsible. Anything. Regardless of reality, anything. And say that. Not just Fox News, other media. Now, if you or I watch this much Fox News, then we will put our Fox News lens on. And it may or may not align with Jesus. And we don't even know that we're looking at the world or groups of people or situations or events through Fox News lens, through MSNBC lens. We pick this up and we've put in our eyes, what we have seen over and over again is all these videos on YouTube. And we don't even know that that's now our lens. All of our gaming, that's now our lens. Because we put it in our eyes, we put it in our eyes, we put it in our eyes, we put it in our eyes. Now that's how we see. And we don't see Jesus. And we might not even realize that we're going against him. Not just that we're not following him totally, that we're literally going against him. I mean, you, you think about what do, you, what do your eyes take in the most? What are you bringing in through your eyes the most on a consistent basis? And then, unless we have some sort of help to get us back to him, then we have this. And we won't even know it. I am up here. I'm saying stuff. At any point, I can be saying things that are not helpful to people who are here to hear from Jesus and follow Jesus. Because I got these things. I do. So, Saul, now all of a sudden, he can't see for a time. And he might be like, why? What are you doing to me? Well, he had to do it so that he would start to be able to see clearly. It's the only way to help him to see clearly. Now the next one. Now let's talk about Ananias. Ananias could only see Saul as a threat. 
Not the possibility of God redeeming Saul, of how God could use Saul, of what good could come in Saul's life, of that God loved Saul. He couldn't see that. Now, here's the thing, though, with Ananias, like, it's kind of understandable. He just brought the facts. Hey, this guy has killed people we know. He's arrested people. He's got, like, the certification to come. He's coming to arrest me. You want me to go pray for him? It's like just handing myself over. He's right. There's sometimes where we could be right. It's right, and yet God says, I still want you to go to that person and love them. Now, I am not talking about abusive situations, like condoning or staying in abusive situations. I'm not talking about that. But for people we just don't like, for the people that have hurt us bad and you know, not, not like abusive, but have hurt, we're hurt by them, we might need to stay in the game. Jesus might be saying, like, I want you to go there. I want you to help them see me clearly. See me what I'm like. Saul doesn't know me. Saul doesn't know me. He's doing these things because he doesn't know who I am or what I'm like or that I'm real. You do. Now you go. Two times. Go. But Ananias says, yeah, but this, but this, but this, but this. And God doesn't like address any of those. He just says, his first word, go. Tells him to go. Yeah, but God, this, 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 this. Go. Go. I'm sending you. Go. Why? This person doesn't know me. He doesn't see me. You can help him to see clearly. Go. Go. What does Anastasius do? He goes. How does he, how does he greet him? Brother Saul, like a term of affection. Brother Saul. You're talking about this group of elders on Monday. You're talking about it. And then there's the debate of like, was it like Brother Saul? Like one of these like, Brother Saul. Or was it more like this? Hey, Brother Saul. Hey, we're doing like, like, but anyway. I shouldn't have even thrown it in there. But it really made me laugh when they said that. Okay. He comes and he goes and he, he prays for him. And he gets to see, here's what happens from there which we'll talk about in the next weeks. Last one we want to talk about is Saul needed someone else to pray for him so he could see. Now Saul didn't eat or drink for three days. He is praying. He just had like Jesus himself right there, like in visual. It, that one wasn't the vision. That was just Jesus. He's there. Light. I mean, unbelievable. Right here. Can't God just do this on his own? Does, why does God need Ananias to come do this? Seems like it'd just be easier if, you know, okay, three days is up. You've been praying to me. Good. You're good. But for probably lots of reasons, God says what's best, probably what's best for Ananias and what's best for Saul is that so you would have Ananias come and pray for you. I would like, my preference would be, I can just pray on my own at home for everything and everything I pray for, and it just works, and I don't need anybody else to be part of that. Else to be part of that. Guess what? I can pray on my own. It does work. 
Things do happen. God does respond. But in certain ways, if we're going to see clearly, if we're going to be healed in some way, whether it's physically, emotionally, in some ways, the avenue God wants to use is someone else putting their hand on our shoulder and praying for us. Sometimes that's his preferred vehicle. There's more that can happen in that sometimes because there's actually a human and a human. And God's doing more than just answering whatever is being prayed for. He is connecting us. He is connecting the people that follow him. And he's saying, like, you, we're in this together. I want you to see clearly we need each other. That is why part of our thing is gathering. We, we, it's, there's no solo. Even, even Saul isn't solo. Even Jesus had 12 people with him. There's no solos. Okay, I'm just going to be spiritual on my own. It is, we gather, we connect. Maybe it's just one other person, maybe it's several other people, but we gather. And then Ananias comes over, he puts his hand on Saul, and is healed. And not only is he physically healed, he can see, literally. Not only is he spiritually healed and renewed, he is baptized, he now believes in Jesus, and we're going to see how how passionately and deeply and faithfully he believes in Jesus in the weeks to come. Not only all of that, but a person who was an enemy, a person who Saul hated, a person who didn't want to even be in the same city as Saul, our brothers are connected. So, I'll have the worship team come up. My prayer this week I'll be honest, a lot of times, I spend a lot of time praying like, okay, God, what do you want? God, what do you want at this, you know, for Sunday morning? Some of that has nothing to do with like uh, my great love for you and God's work. I just don't want to look like an idiot up here. I would love it if God's awesome, then I would look good, right? Well, I'm trying to get over that part of me. That part of me doesn't do much good. But anyway, I'm praying over like, God, what do you want to do this week? What do you want to say? What do you want the focus to be? Because I had all kinds of possibilities with this passage. It's one of my favorites right now. And as I prayed, I think I kept coming back to this. God, whatever you want this Sunday, I I just want to see. I want to see clearly if there are ways that I am going against you, help me to see clearly. I want to see you, the living God, the real thing as you really are. And I want to live life that way. And if you can use me to help other people to see clearly, I would love that too. But start with me. If all of a sudden I think, I got it all figured out, I got all the answers, I'm the Bible, I got it all, and unlike a lot of people, that's right when I'm in danger. I mean, if you want to know, like, what are signs that maybe you don't see as a murderous threats, anger, antagonism, just the depersonalization of other people, if that's going on, that's part of it. So, God, I don't want that. I want to see you. The little bits I think I've seen of the real you are so good. They're so good. You're so different than anyone I know. I want to be like you. I want to see you clearly. And so I decided for today, I was just going to pray for me. And if you agree 
with some of the things I'm praying for, you can make that your prayer too. How about that? Let's pray. God, I just start by acknowledging I know I don't see you clearly. I know often I act like I have it all together. I know I'm often winning arguments in my head against other people. I know that unlike you, when I've been hurt, when I am hurt, I am slow to forgive, even though you're quick to forgive. I know it. And then there's a whole bunch that I don't know what I don't know. So I need you. I need you. So would you help me to see what I can't see? Would you help me to see any ways that I am doing things that are opposite of what you want. Would you especially help me to see you clearly, Jesus? And I need help. So I pray you would send people to me in the right times, in the right ways, and whether it's texts or emails or social media or in person, and whether it's in groups or However, but just at the right times and the right ways, would you bring people to me that would help me to see you more? Would you help me to see you in other people when it's really you and be drawn to that and know that and follow that example? Would you help me? I want you, I want the real thing. Real thing. Help me to look less at things that take me away from you. And instead, like the Bible says, to gaze on you, to behold you, to look at you, to fix my eyes on Jesus. And finally, God, I would love to be used to help people to see you more clearly, people that can't see you. I would love to be used that way. Would you use me help other people see you clearly? Would you keep changing me so that others see you in me? Even the hard places, even the hard people. Make me an instrument of your purposes. Even if in the next days or few weeks it's just one person, send me to the one. Send me to the one no one else will go to. It's in your name I pray. Amen.